changing is a perfect segue into where we're going this morning. You can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4. That's going to guide us, but we'll actually jump around quite a bit this morning. We're going to look at a lot of things in Proverbs to see how it informs our family life. We're fast approaching, and for some of you, it's already here, what we call holiday season. If you go to downtown LaGrange, there's already Christmas decorations up in some of the stores. You can go to Walmart and buy Christmas decorations and gifts. You can get online, and they're advertising for Christmas season. In fact, while we were away this past weekend, Oldham County Schools was on fall break, and so me and Megan took a trip to the mountains, and while we're in the cabin... um, Somehow, the TV landed on the Hallmark Channel while I was sitting in my pajamas doing a puzzle, like the retired person that I am. Um, But it was only Christmas movies. Back to back to back to back to back. Already, we're months away from Christmas, and yet Hallmark Channel is just displaying Christmas movies over and over and over again. We have two days until Halloween, so there's one holiday between now and Christmas season. We have 25 days until Thanksgiving. How can you skip over Thanksgiving? And then 57 days until Christmas. We are still quite a ways away from Christmas season, but as we enter into holiday season, one of the things that's closely associated with all of these holidays is family time. We spend time together. We spend Thanksgiving together. We eat a meal We spend Christmas together. It's you and your family. Not for everyone, but for most of us, we look back on those times with our families with fond memories. And if done right, in our society today, in America, they represent a family that's doing well. For Halloween, the family picks a theme. It's Beauty and the Beast. Dad's dressed up as the Beast, of course. Mom's Bell. The baby's maybe the teacup. One brother's Gaston, the other brother's LeFou. I'll let you brothers decide which one of you is which. But the whole family has this thing going on together. They're spending time together doing it, and you look at that family and go, look how connected they are. They love each other. They want to go out, and everyone's bought into the theme. For Thanksgiving, the turkey is golden brown. It's sitting in the middle of the table, ready to be carved up and eaten. The table set in the dining room with all of the fixings. You eat till you're sick. Then you go outside and you play backyard football or you sit down and you watch the afternoon games, but you do it as a family. And then, of course, Christmas. The tree is lit. The gifts are wrapped. They're under the tree, ready to be open. Everybody's wearing their matching PJs. But all things that are going on in your family. And when we see families like this, Hallmark Channel, if they're going to display a family doing one of these activities, that's how they're going to show them. They're going to show them together, doing this together. The family's connected. The family's united. This is this perfect picture of a family. And those are all wonderful good things. If you do those things, it's awesome. I love it. But many of you know from experience that those outward expressions of the unity in a family, of the family coming together, of the family being bought in together with everything, don't really represent the truth of daily life. They don't represent what it looks like outside of the holiday season. They don't represent the stress that's leading up to buying the presents, of taking the trip, of doing the things together, of going to the in-laws or going home, whatever it may be. In fact, they can give a false sense of accomplishment. We do Thanksgiving really well. The family comes together and it's amazing. We do Christmas really well. Everybody's got the gifts they want. 
see we're doing okay as a family. We look and we see that and we think that's a good family. But when we look at Proverbs, we're going to start in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. It's going to be our guide. It's going to guide our thoughts as we seek to see what Proverbs has to tell us about seeking wisdom in our family life. So let's read Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 together. Then I'll pray and we'll see what Proverbs' wisdom is for us as family. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant and pleasant riches. Let's pray. Lord, add your blessing to your word. Make it so that we can understand it. And make it so that we will live in light of it. Convict us according to your word today. In your name we pray. So we're in the middle of this series as we look through Proverbs. Um, the first couple of weeks, Pastor Cam laid this foundation for what wisdom actually looks like. How do we define wisdom? How do we understand wisdom? And, and this is kind of what he said. He said, wisdom is living God's word in God's world, which sounds simple, living God's word in God's world, except that it means we have to know God's word. So as we move on from that first week, he said, if living wisely is living God's word in God's world, what does it look like to live foolishly? Well, Proverbs chapter 9 says, um, summarizing what Cam teached, taught, on that, teached, taught on that morning, foolish living is pursuing cheap Im- imitations of what God has said is actually good. So wisdom is living God's word in God's world. In God's world. Foolishness is living and pursuing cheap imitations of what God has said is actually good. And so to understand what that might look like in our family lives, we're going to look at three specific relationships. The first one is children to parents. The second one is parents to children. And then the third one is husbands and wives together. So, so children to parents, parents to children, and husbands and wives together. And some of you may have heard those, these three points, parents to children, children to parents, husbands and wives, and you're going to start to tune me out. Maybe you're not living currently in one of those spaces or any of those spaces, but I'm going to plead with you, don't tune me out. Continue to listen. Because healthy families are vital to the church. And if healthy families are vital to the church, you have a vested interest in the families of this church. You have an interest in knowing what a healthy family looks like, what a healthy child obeying their parent looks like, what a parent instructing their kid looks like, and what a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife looks like. So please don't tune me out this morning. Just because you're not currently a child, a parent, or a spouse doesn't mean you don't need to know these truths. An illustration that came to my mind as I was thinking about that was when I was playing basketball in middle school. I say playing. I spent a lot of time on the bench. I did a lot of practicing, but I didn't play a ton. But when I was in eighth grade, I had grown to this height already. And as a six-foot person in eighth grade, you're pretty tall according to eighth grade standards. And so on the basketball team, I could play anything from shooting guard to center. So there's four positions there that I'm going to play. And so as that person that was six foot tall and could be subbed in at any time for any of the people in the game, I needed to know what all the positions needed to do. I needed to know where the center needed to be. I needed to know where the shooting guard needed to be. I needed to know where everybody else needed to be so that I could know where I needed to be. 
and so that I could help those that may not be where they're supposed to be. So this morning, if you're not in one of these relationships, if you're not a parent, if you're not a child, if you're not a spouse currently, please listen. Please learn so that you can encourage those that are, so that you can help those that are. So we're going to jump in this morning. The first relationship that we're going to look at is wisdom for children. So wisdom for children. Children, what are you supposed to do? There's some kids in here. There's some youth in here. I get to teach the youth pretty regularly. I teach the children occasionally. What is it that you are supposed to do? And we're going to see that from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says. Children, this is for you. So, so listen, if you can hold on to this first section, you can tune me out the rest of the time, but get this part. If you get nothing else, get this part, kids. Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Kids, if Proverbs wants you to remember one thing, it's that it wants you to listen to your parents. If you're a kid in here and you are good at listening to your parents, can you raise your hand? We've got a few. That's great. All right. We've got a few. The parents are all shaking their head in full agreement. Kids, listen to your parents. Proverbs wants you to listen to your parents. And how do I know that this is important for you as kids? I know this is important for you as kids the same way that I know what's important for your parents Um, what's important that your parents tell you on a day-to-day basis, it's because it's repeated over and over and over again. And parents, if you're in here, you know that truth. You tell your kids things over and over and over again. Around 15 or 16 times, it's repeated in Proverbs, listen to me, hear my words, remember what I'm telling you. Solomon and the writers of Proverbs want you to listen to your parents. Your parents tell you things over and over again. They tell you to brush your teeth over and over again. Why do they do that? Because they want you to go upstairs and spend time playing in the sink at night before you... No, because it's good for you. Your parents tell you not to play in the street. Is it because they think the street is the, the worst place for you? No, it's good for you to not play in the street. They tell you what is important over and over and over again. Those phrases, listen, hear, don't forget, obey, they're repeated over and over again. But why should you listen to your parents? Solomon says, do it, obey your parents, listen to your parents, but why are you supposed to do that? Because they want what is good for you. Listen to verse 2 from Proverbs chapter 3 again. Verse 1 says, listen, hear my words, keep my commandments. Verse 2 says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. They want you to listen because they know that it's good for your well-being. Not just that it's good for them, and sometimes it is good for them, but it's often good for you. How do you know that what they want is good for you? Because they've already done hard things for you. I'm a new parent. I've got a seven-month-old. I've done hard things for Olivia. I can't imagine what other hard things I'm going to have to do for her in the future. But your parents have done hard things for you just to keep you alive. Think of the hard things they've done for you. These are ones that came to my mind because they're in my life at the moment. 2 a.m. feedings. If you find a parent that enjoyed the 2 a.m. feedings, more power to you. Those were rough. Changing diapers. Working to provide for you. Fixing you meals every single day. Providing clothes for you to to wear. Giving you a house to sleep in and to live in. Your parents have made a major investment in you already to this point, and they're going to continue 
to make an investment in you. And that's not just time. They're not in money. They're not just investing those things, but they're investing tears. They're investing prayers because they have a desire that you would grow up and know the Lord. Kids, they want you to know the Lord. So kids, your wisdom from Proverbs this morning, listen to your parents. It should be the most well-behaved foyer after church this Sunday because you've been instructed. You know what to do when you get out there this morning. Children, listen to your parents. The second relationship, wisdom for parents. And this is a, a popular verse. It comes up often. We use it in our family milestones when we meet with parents and when we um, walk through things with them. Proverbs chapter two, 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, Proverbs wants you to teach and to discipline. Proverbs wants you to teach and to discipline. Because here's the truth. Here's what Solomon knows as he's writing to his son. They're going to listen to somebody. They're going to seek out information from somewhere, and it is better to come from you than from someone else. Your kids are going to listen to someone. Let it be you. Take the time to teach them. Take the time to discipline them. And I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's not going to be simple. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. But take the time to do it because if you don't, culture will. Social media will. Their own thoughts will. Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. If you're not teaching them, they're going to listen to themselves. They're going to listen to outside influences. So parents, be the one to teach them. Because children can only do their part if you're doing yours. They can only learn. They can only hear. They can only obey if you are taking the time to teach them, to instruct them, and to discipline them. Parents, everyone loves to hear the story, the testimony of a dramatic transformation. Of how God saved someone from some serious sin, from some evil situation, from addiction, from abuse, from crime, depression, anxiety, another religion, etc. All of these different things. But Solomon doesn't want that for your life. Solomon wants you to spend the time to teach your kids so that they will hear, so that they will understand, so that they can obey. No parent wants that story for their own child. Even if it goes to that, they will praise God that God has brought them back. Parents, take the time. It's important. The hours you spend praying for them, the hours you spend reading the Bible with them, the hours you spend serving at the church so that they can see you, They matter. They add up. You don't think your kids are watching. You don't think your kids are listening. You don't think they're taking anything in, but I get to see it. When they step into the youth group and I hear them talk about things that they know, not because we've taught them, but because you have taught them. And they listen and they obey and they're respectful and they do things that we haven't had a chance to teach them, but you have taught them. You took the time. And they did hear. Even though it doesn't seem like it in the moment. So what does this train up look like? Like any other training. It's taking time, it's taking discipline, it's taking commitment. It has the long game in mind. 
You're not thinking about how they're being obedient in this moment, but how they will be obedient for a lifetime. So small failures aren't going to despair you, and small victories aren't going to suffice, but continual growth and pursuing of the Lord is the goal. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, he says, Your child has an eternal destiny. God has called you to train up your child to go to heaven. That is ultimately the way he should go. So parents, take the time. Parents, pursue your kids. Love them. Show them the Lord. Be an example and teach them diligently. The third and final relationship we're going to look at this morning is husbands and wives. First, we'll address wives. Secondly, we'll address husbands. And one of the hard things about Proverbs is is that it gives short sentences here and short sentences there, and you've got to take all of it, and you've got to combine it, and you've got to see what the big picture is. But we're going to look in Proverbs chapter 31. It's a popular proverb. In my Bible, it's titled, The Woman Who Fears the Lord. But from, from Proverbs 31, we're going to see what God has said, how Solomon has written, what wisdom we can gain for husbands and for wives. So for you wives, husbands, listen to this. When we get to the husbands, wives, you listen to that as well. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12 are going to guide us here. Starting in verse 10, it says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Wives, I believe what Proverbs wants you to hear from Proverbs 31 is to be the helper to your husband, to be the helper that your husband needs, to complete the task that y'all, you two together, that y'all have been given. Y'all have been given a task together whether it's parenting, whether it's serving in the community, whether it's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, y'all have been given a task together. Wives, be the helper that your husband needs to complete this task. In Proverbs 31, we find the qualities of a quote-unquote good wife. We see all of the things that she does and how she assists in the home and how she assists in the life of her family but I believe it's just a deeper look, a more expansive view of what's actually going on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Remember, in Genesis, Adam is in the garden, and he's working, and God has given him a task to do in the garden, and, and God looks down and says, there's no helper fit for man, and he needs a helper. So God gives Adam this helper that is fit for him, for the task that he has in the moment to do the things that God has called him to do. And he, God has given your husband wives a wife that is fit for him to complete the task that he and you together have been given to do. God gave Adam someone who could assist in the work that he was doing. It was no longer Adam's garden and landscaping. He wasn't doing it all alone. It was a family business now. It was Adam's, Adam and Eve's home and garden center. They were working together on the task that God had given them. 
striving together to complete it. Eve compliments Adam. I believe in my own wife. God gave me a wife that compliments me greatly. She is strict in places that I'm not strict. She's flexible in places that I'm not flexible. She works well with middle school students and understands them greatly and helps me understand how to teach them and how to love them and how to care for them. And husbands, God has given you a wife with the same capabilities. A wife that compliments you in the ways that you need complimenting. And we can't look at Proverbs 31 and see this list of the things that that the wife does and pursue all of them because I don't think it's supposed to be all of these that you do. But this is the list of the things that she does for her husband. She shops for food. She cooks and feeds. She buys land and plants a vineyard. She sells the goods she makes. She gives to the poor. She plans for tomorrow, not just today. She teaches with wisdom and kindness. Proverbs 31 Wives gives you a list of things. It shows you what a complimentary wife looks like, how she assists her husband in the task of their life together. And it provides, it gives a wide array of ways that you can assist your husband in the task that y'all have been given together. Because it's easy to look at your marriage and look at the things that you're doing and put what your husband's doing over here and what I'm doing over here. And we're both doing good things, but we're going in not maybe not opposite directions, but we're going in different directions on our own. But that's not what Proverbs 31 shows here. It shows a wife who is the helper her husband needs, doing the task that they have been given together. So wives, be the helper your husband needs to complete the task that y'all have been given together. Finally, husbands. Husbands, this one's heavy. The burden is on us here. Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 31. This is what it says. And this is in still talking to the good wife and what she does, but it explains how her husband sees her. Proverbs 31, 28 through 31, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her work praise, let her works praise her in the gates. Husbands, I believe if Proverbs wants you to remember one thing, it is that you should sing your wife's praises early and often. You should sing her praises early and often. According to Proverbs 31, you are supposed to be her biggest fan and advocate. You are supposed to be the one lifting her up, showing her good qualities, proclaiming to all the people around her that many women have done greatly, but no one is like my wife. No one fears the Lord as she does. No one provides. No one cares. No one assists. No one comes alongside the way she does. And to be fair, this comes on the, upon, comes on the heels of the description of the perfect wife. And so it's easy to look at this text and go, well, if I had a wife like that, well, I would sing her praises as well. But that doesn't negate the command. 
It doesn't say only sing her praises when she does all of these amazing things that I just listed before. It says her husband also and he praises her. See, the funny thing about looking at family and Proverbs is that as I was studying it and as I was looking forward, looking through it, I realized how good of a Bible scholar the Apostle Paul was. Because all of the things that I'm seeing about family life through the book of Proverbs, he summarizes in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you want the cliff notes, if you forget what I'm saying here, go read Ephesians chapter 5 and see what the Apostle Paul says there about husbands, wives, and children. Because he says very, very similar things. And so the Apostle Paul expounds on this relationship and the image that it represents in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, your command is to love your wife like Christ has. And that's not easy. And it's not easy because how did Christ love us? How did Christ love the church? Where were you when Christ loved you? Were you pretty good? Were you attractive? Was he lucky to have you on your side? No. You were living in sin. You were rebelling. You were going the complete other direction, doing the things that you wanted, not the things that he has desired for your life. Romans, 8, or Romans 5, or verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. So husbands, if you're going to love your, li- your wives like Christ loved the church, you're going to love her through all of the flaws that she may have, despite all of her sins, despite the inconsistencies. You're just going to love her. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he was talking about how in ministry you get to know people and you know you have to love them, and the more you get to know them, the more you do love them. And he told a story that um, early on in his ministry, he would take a day off every couple of months. And on his day off that he took every couple of months, his wife would ask what he would want to do. And, uh, And on this one day that he had off, he said, well, let's invite... Um, Mary Bell and her husband over. And his wife said, why would we invite them over? And he says, because I actually like them. He said, I may be the only ones in town that actually like them, but the time I've spent with them, counseling them, loving them, showing them Christ has changed my heart towards them. Husbands, spend time with your wives. Get to know her, know how she works, what she thinks, how you can love her, and love her even when it's hard. And in doing this, you're going to set the example. The other stuff's going to become a lot easier. Because your children, like it says in Proverbs 31, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Her children see him do that, and then they learn from that. They see the father love their father loved their mom, and they learn how to love her in the same way. Your children are going to see, and they're going to learn. Those around you are going to see, and they're going to wonder. 
because they're going to have the picture-perfect Thanksgiving dinner, and they're going to finish dinner and go back home, and the problems are still going to be there, and they're going to wonder how it is that you love your wife when they can't stand to be around her at the moment. Husbands, by the way you love your wife, Christ's love is going to be seen. So husbands, love your wife well. See, in conclusion, the reality is that pursuing all of these relationships through wisdom, through the gospel, through how God has laid out for us to live in his world according to his word, the gospel gets to be seen. Children, when you obey your parents, you're following in the example of a son who obeyed his father perfectly. He didn't give you a command that he didn't do himself. Christ set the example of obedience to his father. So children, when you obey your parents, you're showing how Christ obeyed his father. You're pointing people towards the one that was perfectly obedient and the one that can save others from their sins. Parents, God does not withhold discipline and instruction from his own children because he knows it's for their good. When you don't withhold discipline and instruction from your children, you're you're stepping in the example of a father that does that for his. Follow his example. Because the father loves his kids, he disciplines them, he instructs them, he shows them what is good, what is right, because he knows it's for their own good. Wives, God the Father cares for those that are His, supplying their needs and holding them up. Care for those that are yours. Come alongside them, hold them up, carry them along, showing the love that the Father has for those that are His. And husbands, Christ loves those that are His and He leads them. And the burden's on you. Lead. Love your wife, discipline your kids, instruct them, show them the way. And do it so that others can see Christ in your family. See, we live in a world that idolizes this peaceful family. They don't make a Hallmark movie about the family that's in disarray and doesn't even come together and doesn't speak to each other. They just don't do it. They don't want that. But the problem is, is that the world doesn't have any idea how to offer it. They're going to say, get financially secure and all of your problems are going to go away. You'll be able to live in peace in your family. Gather up as many experiences as you can. Take the trips. Go see the world. Do things together and your family's going to grow together in unity. Find success. Don't be a failure. Your kids will look up to you and they'll want to be like you are. Get education, pursue knowledge, find things that, uh, find understanding in the ways of the world. Look for any opportunity you can to pursue pleasures and happiness and whatever because that's all that matters. Or just find love because love's going to carry you through to the end. But Proverbs doesn't say that. That's not the picture that Proverbs gives of the family. The family is diving in. The family is obeying the parents. The family is doing the hard things together as a family. And in that, the unity comes. And in that, the security comes. All of the other things aren't enough. But the gospel is. The gospel is enough to work through all of the messy parts of family life. The gospel is enough to put your own desires out of the way 
The gospel is enough to submit to Christ, to put others ahead of yourself, to live according to God's word in God's world, trusting that what he has said is good is actually good. Not seeking it on your own, but just living in light of it. Now, I know some of you can hear this and you're thinking, now I've got my checklist. Now I've got the things that I have to do. I can move on from there. I don't want you to see it that way. Because if you're pursuing it as a checklist, if you're pursuing it as if I'm doing all of these things just right in my area, things are going to work out. It doesn't work. It only works in light of the gospel. It only works in light of trusting in the Lord. It only works in allowing him to work in your life and in your family's life by being obedient to his word. We're going to finish up today with a time of reflection. And you're going to have, there's a question that you can answer and then there's a prayer that you can pray. The question is going to be, what areas of family life tend to be the hardest for you? What would it look like for you to, be, to begin to pursue the Lord in those areas? Not to do those things perfectly, but just to pursue the Lord in those areas. And then the prayer is, pray that God would put the people around you and the desire within you to pursue family life in the way of wisdom. Let's pray together and then we'll have a time of meditation and reflection.